Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show, broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island where it is broadcast continuously for 15 years. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. I'm also the founder and director of the annual New York Dog Film Festival, which travels the country supporting local animal welfare groups after a New York City premiere every October alongside my annual New York Cat Film Festival brought to you by Dr. Elsie's. This show would not be possible without the longtime support of Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food, remaining privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards. This show was also made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their cats. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, no hide, and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Weimaran or Maisie will eat. I am so delighted to have Ace Tilton back on the show. They wrote The Little Book of Dog Care, Expert Advice on Giving Your Dogs Their Best Life, which we had a wonderful interview about last month, the beginning of the, the month. And I was just so intrigued by Ace as a person and as a writer and as a kind of thinker, philosopher, person. And I invited them to come back on the show to talk about something that has really nothing to do with dogs and cats who are pretty clearly boys or girls, whether they're spayed or neutered, but about humans who now have this option of calling themselves he, she, or they, and Ace has that in their signature. And I thought that it would be good, since we're all pretty smart, interesting people that are listening to NPR and listening to my show, that we should learn more about this and learn more about people who choose they and understand it and not be, in my generation, a little awkward about it, a little uncomfortable, a little embarrassed, a little kind of, uh, oh, God, am I going to put my foot in my mouth? And anyway, what does that mean? So, Ace, I love your book. I hope it's doing wonderfully and people are finding the little book of dog care. It's just so delightful. But I really appreciate you being open and willing to have this conversation because I think it's really valuable. I think you're in you're not 20, 
you're older than 20, but I have a goddaughter who went to Bennington College where the default was to refer to everyone as they, absolutely everyone. That was the presumption. And that was kind of mind-bending for me. So can you talk a little bit about where how you explain that to people if they should ask or how you help people understand that decision or choice? Yeah, I actually love the idea that um, <laughs> that the whole school is a place where the default is they, and then people can opt into mm-hmm. what their their mm-hmm. gender choice is. I think that's pretty exceptional, actually. Um, yeah, you're right. I'm not in my 20s. I'm actually looking down the barrel of 40 at this point, and I came out as a transgender or non-binary person, um, and not all people will identify as both. Um, oh, gosh, I think about six years ago or so. Um, and I think the important thing to remember is that every single person who makes the decision to think about their gender differently or to spend the time playing with different pronouns or swapping between mm-hmm. pronouns mm-hmm. or using multiple pronouns, you know, it's going to be a different journey for every single human. It really, truly is. And I think the most important thing that we can do is approach that journey for other people with a sense of curiosity and yes. not one of judgment, because ultimately it doesn't actually change anything about how you're going through your life for how I choose to identify. You know what I mean? Yes, I do know what you mean. And that's why I thought I have curiosity about things beyond dogs and cats. It goes into many other animals now. And as you know, because you've also been on my show, Exotic Pets, because it turns out you're not just a major dog person, but a major snake person, that I think curiosity about humans has a place on a show called Dog Talk and Kitties too, and people at the same time, because without us, then there's nothing really to say about dogs and cats. They live with us and for us. And I just want to turn the, the spotlight back on us and look at us a little bit as an evolution. So many of the really brilliant minds that come on this show who look at the evolution of cats and dogs, the human-animal bond, they they talk about it in a historical perspective. And I'm thinking back to when I was 20 and only in kind of liberal, open-minded situations were people comfortable with people being gay. That seemed Mm -hmm. to a lot of America and maybe the rest of the world threatening, just being a man who wanted to be with men or a woman who wanted to be with women. So that was something people had to get used to. And and there was a, a lot of gay a lot of negativity, judgment, violence, uh, hatred, confusion, and people were threatened. Now, as you say, what the heck does that have to do with you, right? I mean, you're living your life. Why are you threatened? So now we have this evolution of understanding that people don't necessarily have to be categorized as one or the other. And it's gotten more fluid, as in gender fluid, as in thinking fluid. But a lot of people are confused and threatened and make awkward, embarrassed kind of jokes about it. Not necessarily Mm -hmm. around people who aren't binary, but I think it's a little bit like racism or even sexism, that we should not be making jokes because of our own discomfort behind the backs of people who have chosen a different path or are a different color, but maybe have the conversation with them for the good of them and ourselves. And you seem to be a very open person. 
you're also open about being disabled and being in a wheelchair. And that's something that nobody would know on radio, but you're out there about it. And it's great because you make the idea of accessibility real. This person really needs to have accessibility. It's essential to their welfare, right? Definitely. And, you know, it's interesting that you talk about the the history of people being closed-minded about uh, queerness or gayness or, you know, uh, people being transgender or yep. non-binary, because I think that we... You know, the the statement is kind of like we live in about a, a hundred year span and everything that's lost behind that. Um, you know, we we lose the, the history. We use the, lose the culture. Yes. We're disconnected from that time period. And so I think that so many people don't understand that if you really expand and you look at the length and breadth of human history, we have had people outside of the binary gender um, it, across the world, across the globe, there yep. has been a level of, of gender questioning and, and gender fluidity that has existed um, in many indigenous tribes uh, across particularly America, um, but also in India, the idea of, of gender fluidity, in Egypt, the idea of gender fluidity. Yes. So it's it's not actually even so much a new idea. And, you know, again, when we start thinking about that history and coming up on that hundred years, uh, what's really interesting is that much of the erasure of queerness and transgenderism started happening in, I want to say a little bit earlier, but I think it really came to a head um, with here in America, we have a really long history of eugenics and uh, erasure of disability and removal of people who were deemed to be not fit or or not Mm -hmm. acceptable or Mm -hmm. not part of, you know, polite society. And that was used to kill and murder disabled people. That was used to kill and murder uh, people of color. It was used to pretty much get rid of so many humans. And in most ways, the eugenics that happened here in America really informed Adolf Hitler and what he did in Germany with the Holocaust. That's right. And then kind of the other side of that coin is that Hitler really did a, a, an incredibly perversely thorough job of destroying so much of our modern, at the time, knowledge and history and studying of queerness and of transgender people and of non-binariness in his, you know, awful swath of destruction that he left behind of destroying people that he did not deem to be fit. And so we lost so much of that history and acceptance through the Holocaust. And we're just sort of now starting to rebuild that. And with the help of the internet, being able to be proactive and open about people who are outside of the gender binary and exist on this, you know, long spectrum. But I think the thing that's really important to think about is that even when we talk about gender as a binary, I don't think anybody really exists in a binary black and white, yes, no, all man, all woman. Um, I, I just don't think conceptually that that is true for any human. I think that humans are a, a big, huge, mixed up bundle of all kinds of different things and all different traits and the traits that we identify as masculine or the traits that we identify as feminine. Nobody is one of all things. And so I think that in many ways, gender fluidity exists for everyone, whether or not you have put 
that label on yourself or not. That's really brilliantly said. And, and I, w- I just want to r- remind everyone, I'm talking to Ace Tilton, who wrote The Little Book of Dog Care, Expert Advice on Giving Your Dogs Their Best Life, a wonderful book, but also has been kind enough to come back and have this conversation about gender and how we put labels on ourselves. But more importantly, those of us that don't put a different kind of label on ourselves and think we are normal or straight that somehow that was the, the, the middle of the road and anything else was off in the weeds, that I really felt that Ace would have things to say, not even as fantastic as what you just said, to help us be more open and more accepting and more gracious about, it isn't even just change, is it, Ace? It's that a kind of a cover is coming off. And in a younger generation, particularly in the twi- in people in their 20s, now maybe not people in their 20s and very conservative, very, I'm going to say uptight, that's a judgmental word, but societies, then this would not be a conversation that they'd be comfortable having. But somebody wrote me recently, a wonderful woman who had the coolest dog that that I helped her through many years of getting her her darling older dog, Hannah, to, to live longer. And she wrote and said, I love all the things you're discussing on the show. I love the whole question about diversity in the veterinary field keep on going, you know, coloring outside the line. So it encouraged me to reach out to you, Ace, because I think that these conversations are important for older people towards younger people. So Mm -hmm. we older ones have got to understand that people in their 20s, sure, Bennington College is very liberal, very arty. Therefore, the fact that everyone is considered a they when they get there uh, is not at all surprising to them. Another goddaughter of mine who's now 25 or 6 went to SUNY Purchase, which is a state university of New York at Purchase, but she was very funny. She came out as gay when she was in high school and then Mm -hmm. has since become a person with a name that is just a letter. But I don't know what – I haven't really understood what that means other than she's not identifying as female or as the name she Mm -hmm. had before. But she said that – what they called freshmen at SUNY Purchase, now this was a state college, was straight, that they were only freshmen were straight. And by the time they'd been there for a while, everybody was what you said, fluid, a melting pot came out in one direction or another. I think we older people have to understand that is the real world for people in their 20s. And then you look at people with little children, one, two, three, four, five, six, right? Those really formative years who were discovering uh, may not identify as the sex they were told they were or just one sex, and they're confused. So we need to be clear that that confusion isn't a bad thing necessarily. It's real, right? Is that what you would say? Yeah, and I think that, you know, uh, so much of this is about language. You know, the the biological sex is what we are frequently born with, and we even have an idea that biological sex exists within a binary and that you know, uh, 2X chromosomes are what constitutes a woman right. and an XY chromosome are what constitutes a man. But even the, the diversity that exists within the way that our genotypes and our phenotypes can express is massive and huge. And there are, you know, huge swaths of, again, intersex people and people who have genitalia that is not all male or That's all right. female. And so I think that it, when we're talking about the, the diversity of the 
of just what exists out there. Um, I think so much of it is uh, about exposure for being, uh, you know, an older person who maybe has not been exposed to these ideas. I think as we get older, we can very frequently sort of get frozen in what we believe to what we believe the world to be and not understand that it is all so mutable and particularly with the internet everything changes and i think that that's something that's been going on for as long as humans have existed you know you can see the the headlines on the newspapers about how the kids are all troublemakers and the kids right. are yeah, they always say talking that. about yeah. these wild things. And that's always how it is, you know? Correct. And so I think so much of it is, is about just as an older person, how willing are you to have your, your perception of what reality is challenged and how open are you to say, I don't necessarily understand that, but I'm willing to learn more exactly. or how willing are you to just say, uh, you know, okay, I don't actually even need you to explain that to me. You say that's your reality. Fine. That's fine with me. Right. And it has to be fine. I mean, that's really, as we get towards the the end of our time, it's really that it has to be okay with other people. We have to be okay with the way people want to live their lives, how they want to describe themselves, identify themselves. So when you see a signature on somebody's email that says he, she, they, and says which one they are, are they could often they're they're welcome to change it next month if they want but if big corporations mm-hmm. want people to put that under their signature that's a good sign because if a big corporation mm-hmm. as opposed to just an individual a quirky individual like you does it that's like the cool quirky individual identifying right but i think it's important that we understand that 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 that, it, that life isn't how you always imagine it to be that as people change whether they're your age or younger ages, it's something to embrace and accept. And there's a beautiful picture of you getting married with, I think, in redwood trees with your yes. husband, who's a, a marvelous veterinarian, who you shared part of his practice with him at one point. And I don't know if he identifies as a he. He looks like a man wearing a tuxedo at a wedding. And you're in a, a female-looking wedding dress in your wheelchair, and it's like this, you know what, this, these people are living their life the way they want to live it. And I just think it's a really, I think you are a wonderful example to all of us. I really, I really mean that. And I really appreciate you being willing to help those of us that are a little backward. And I would consider myself definitely on that part of the scale to, to <laughs> understand better and to love everybody for who they are. And if you're uncomfortable, you know, come to terms with it. Talk to them if you can. Read a book. Read a magazine article. It, I, you know, educate yourself a little bit. Lighten up, folks. It's sort of yeah, where I, we have I to go with that. that's the beauty of it. You know, yes. right now is there, there is so much ability to understand someone else's point of view. There are so right. many ways to sit down and to, even if you're not actually having the face-to-face conversation, there are so many ways to sit down and have a conversation with a transgender person right now or a non-binary person. We are in a, an absolute overwhelming waterfall of access to experiences right. and stories. And so it's out there. And I think that one of the things that m- many people end up being afraid about is there's a lot of fear mongering about transgender people or non-binary people or queer people. And I think that there always have been because we are different or we are, we are proven to be, you know, different from, as you say, the norm. Um, But I think the things that I would encourage people to, to really think about is 
we have always existed. It's just whether or not people feel safe enough to let you know that we exist the way that we are. Because as you say, in those pictures in the Redwoods, you know, both my partner and I, we both identify as uh, transgender non-binary. And so it's about whether or not you've proven to us that it is safe enough for us to let you know that that is how we identify. Um, but also, I think that there is a lot of fear-mongering that happens um, and one of the things that I think is very, very true, particularly in this political climate without getting you know, too deep right. into the weeds right. and the nitty gritty, is that very frequently accusations that are uh, being made about transgender people or about queer people, um, frequently those accusations are actually confessions about the behavior that is being done. So I would really encourage people, if you hear somebody say, you know, those transgender people are all pedophiles. Those transgender people are all groomers. Those people are hurting our children or doing such and such. There's always a reason that somebody says something like that. And the vast majority of the reality is that transgender and queer people deal with an inordinate amount of violence, hate crimes, hate, homophobia, all of the isms and the people who are very frequently saying, well, this tiny population of people is out to hurt our children. Mm, is it actually that the queer people or the transgender people are the ones hurting our kids? Or Thank you. is that, or is, is, or that is the hate mongering a confession? Yeah. Or is mm-hmm. the hate mongering the problem? Ace Tilton, you're terrific. And uh, I'm going to, I, if, with your permission, use the, the marvelous wedding photo that you have to go along with the podcast version of this conversation. It's wonderful to learn more and to get to know you more. And I hope that those of you that were hoping to get some really great advice about what to do about your dog's vomiting today, that you're just <laughs> as happy to learn something about weird, wonderful, difficult humans. And those would be the ones that are the judgmental, critical ones, by the way. Thank you so much for being here, Ace. Thank you so much for having me, as always. I hope you enjoyed the show. There's a few more special companies that make the show possible, and I hope you'll try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. I want to thank Wonderside, founded by a woman entrepreneur who discovered an effective natural way of using plant-powered products to repel fleas, ticks, and other parasites on our pets instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes it possible to protect your pets, children, and property without the chemicals that could be harmful to all of us. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and answer only to their own high standards. Finally, we're supported by Magic Fabric Pet Throws, developed by a husband-wife team whose expertise in the textile industry solved the problem of their big hairy dog, Molly, who got on the couch in bed with them, despite her wet fur, muddy paws, and shedding. Sound familiar? They created machine-washable Magic Fabric Pet Throws to trap pet hair, dirt, and moisture letting you enjoy dog and cat cuddle time without sacrificing your clothes, furniture, or decor. You can buy direct from the creators at magicfabric.com.